Hi, this is uh, Dan Martin with NextGen Waterfronts, and uh, in this episode of NextGen Waterfronts, we talk to Scott Shipley. Uh, Scott is uh, kind of got a remarkable story. Uh, Scott is an engineer who goes all over the world and uh, quite a bit in the U.S. working on developing um, kayaking courses in rivers or completely new artificial kayaking courses and whitewater courses. Uh, he does it for people who enjoy uh, those pursuits, but also for swift water rescue um, examples where, where uh, firefighters and other rescue workers can train to rescue people from a swift water wreck, uh, I guess, situation. <clears throat> Scott's been doing this for many years, and Scott is actually, and Scott, you're going to have to correct me on this, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong. I think you are a two-time Olympian in kayaking. Three times. Time. I knew. I, I knew I had that one. <laughs> yeah. Scott, he's, he's I don't talk about that third time very much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, uh, we'll talk about that today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the uh, no, uh, Scott is a uh, multiple uh, Olympian in kayaking, and uh, he lives uh, in Colorado. Uh, so, uh, so yes, he is as cool as it all sounds. And he grew up on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. So, um, <clears throat> so Scott uh, today has. Is, is, is an engineer and has an engineering company. Correct me if I've got it wrong again, Scott, but I think it's S2O Engineering. S2O Design and Engineering, yes. Design and Engineering. And uh, and like I said, uh, Scott uh, develops uh, or designs and in some cases uh, helps develop uh, um, great water courses uh, pretty much uh, all over the country and all over the world. And the reason I wanted to talk to you today, Scott, was uh, that, uh, well, for two reasons. One is I know you have a very special and personal relationship with water, uh, but also because I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities for doing more of these artificial water courses or using existing water courses and making them into, into um, uh, kayak and water courses um, uh, throughout the country, but especially along coastal areas. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm interested along coastal areas because we're having to rethink what kinds of development we do in coastal areas, and we can't always count on a beach uh, uh, like we used to um, for our coastal resorts and stuff. And the beautiful thing about the environments that you work on is that they're always ready. There's no tide going in, going out, and, uh, and people uh, can always get in, get wet, and get excited. So... Uh, so, Scott, do you mind uh, telling me a little bit about your background in water and, you know, where you've kayaked, uh, what you've enjoyed about, uh, about getting in the water and so on? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, there's all this talk about the one percenters for different things. And, and for whitewater, that's, that's my background, right? I kind of became the point of the spear in the sense that I trained up and became a, became a World Cup champion and became an Olympian. And, um, and my focus until now has really been that that high end, you know, obviously I came up through the ranks, so I've seen all these different parts. Um, but the interesting thing for me, when I, when I got into designing kayak parks, you know, my original goal was let's make bigger, let's make better, let's make it crazy, you know, X games. And what I've learned as I do this is that's not what it's about. It's about getting a whole community out and active. You know, it's about providing a place for healthy outdoor active lifestyles and I, and I say lifestyles with an emphasis on that because we try and create these places, you know, unlike a water slide or, um, you know, a trip to the fair, we try and create these places where 
people make it a part of their daily lives. And so they're coming out to, to read a book along the river or to, to um, learn to kayak or to, to just try it with a rafting or tubing for the first time. And we try and create these things that make your vacation better so you stay longer in the places that you're going to. And we try and create these things where people say, look, I'm going to put down that, or my kids especially, you're going to put down that iPad, they're going to throw away their Xbox, and they're going to they're gonna pursue this instead of that sedentary lifestyle. So for me, um, I've kind of gone from that tip of the spear to how do we get the whole pyramid of people into these things that we build and have a place for each of them to pursue something that they're passionate about. Well, and, and actually what you're describing too is, is aquatic environments that can be coastal, can be river estuaries where they approach an ocean or a gulf or a great lake, um, <clears throat> where a lot of people are doing, in fact, different things but they're all there at the water's edge because there is something about the water that draws us, that makes us want to come to it. There certainly is. And water's special, right? We've, we've kind of learned that. And we've worked on a variety of different parks in, in a variety of different places. But what we find is that part of the attraction or that part of the venue that allows people to get wet and be active in the water or play in the water, that becomes the focal point. Um, and so, for us, that that's kind of our focus anyway as a company. And building these these venues around that or building these tracks around that is what we're what we're really focused on. Well, what, one of the things that um, <clears throat> you know that we focus on in this show and others on this network ASPN is is uh, is is coastal living. But I know one of the things that you've done a lot of work on are uh, are removing low head dams um, from a lot of rivers that are trying to become more ecologically. Uh, aware our um, communities where they try to become more ecologically aware and recognize that the whole river is the environment, not an upper dam and a lower dam section of the river. Um, and, and, and when that happens, uh, there still is a drop in the water level. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think you sort of figure out ways that there can be hurdles that people can come through. So while the water is now free flowing with the removal of a low head dam, uh, the uh, uh, the water is, is 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 available in a new way for recreation. Can can you describe how that works? Yeah, you know, um, traditionally these low head dams were built to to power mills and to drive cities. You know, there's one in South Bend, Indiana that that that, that they pushed the water into a into a mechanical canal and they they ran the city with these. They have one on the east side and the west side of their dam, and so. Um, the idea with what we do is to is to come in and say, hey, um, this thing isn't being used anymore. People people plug their appliances in now. They don't spin them with water. And um, do we need that dam anymore? And because it's a barrier to fish passage, it's a barrier to navigation. Um, it's terrible for the ecosystem on both sides because you you create something that's not natural there. And uh, and at the end of the day, can we just fix that problem? And in some cases. The answer is yes, and then we're then we're saying let's restore this river. Let's create because we are in an urban environment. Let's create recreation that draws tourism to this to this town and that creates an economic benefit for people while we restore the river. And you can see a great example of that in downtown um, Reno, Nevada. Right? You, if you if you focus in, you'll see a park in the middle of that town that um, that's just a wonderful recreational facility that used to be a dam and a bunch of concrete walls. Right? And um, in other cases, people are saying, hey, that dam still has a purpose. 
Um, and so we want to keep the dam. We want to keep the water at that elevation because it's cooling a power plant, for example. Um, and in those cases, the, uh, the idea is let's build a whitewater park on the back or a natural river on the back of that. Because every river has places that are steeper and places that are less steep. And so on the backside of these dams, we're able to create a natural, a natural slope to that river that's greater than the average that essentially buries that dam so that fish can come right up and, and people can recreate as they go down. And so places like Pueblo or um, there's a couple here in, in uh, Lyons, Colorado, um, where we've gone in and, and changed that dam so that it's actually just a big rapid that holds water up at a certain elevation. So there's options, lots of options, and really as many as there are sites to look at for how to solve this. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna credit you only, but uh, but participation in um, in kayaking uh, has 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 doubled in the last ten years. It's gone from about five million Americans to about ten million. Um, and uh, uh, although I will say the number of times people engage in it on an annual basis is still around four or five times a year. And that's because people often have to drive to a place to kayak. Now, what, what ideas do you have or have you thought about for estuaries, which, you know, are along coastal areas where, uh, where rivers, um, which are the palette that we are there, I guess the canvas that we're talking about. Um, is there a way to bring your palette to, to estuaries and, and where rivers dump into the ocean. Is there something there? And the reason I like rivers is, you know, they come into bays is that they, they're they always bringing water. So again, the, there's no lack of a, there's no tide. There's a lack of a tide. Sure. Um, the, um, I, I think there's a couple of questions to ask yourself. So we've, we've got three or four whitewater projects that are associated with um, that transition from riverine to marine environment, basically. And, um, and when you look at them, each of them solves a, a, a different thing. And when people call us, the first thing I ask is, golly, do you need to do anything? Because some of these places are are beautiful. And sea kayaking or even taking that normal you know, vehicle you take for a lake into this, into this estuary environment can be an experience all by itself. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and so there's a lot of that going on. It was my daily bread because um, we lived waterfront in Puget Sound to go out and and, and paddle in and up the estuaries um, in the bay that we lived up, um, which is a big tourist attraction in that area. People do that um, with sea kayaks. Um, in other places, um, Teesside England is a project that we worked on. Um, and it's, it, when you Google it, it's funny because it's two E's and two S's, T-E-E-S-S-I-D-E. -E. Um, that project um, was to look at, hey, we've got a lock system, you know, we, industrial revolution style lock system that allows canal boats to go up this up this river, the Tees River, um, and there's there's a very large one right before it transitions to the ocean, and so they built a channel into the earth, um, into the banks around that dam, with a headgate on it that allows them to open the headgate and have a have a whitewater experience there, and in this case, um, we also kind of focused on green energy, and so when the river's not being used it, and the canal is not being used requiring water um, they generate we used uh, screw pumps and so they generate electricity and then when the whitewater parks being used if the tide is in they need to pump and so they um, they turn the pumps on and they pump it in a circle and that allows them to raft um, at other times um, if you think about it you can have rafting with no generation because the tide is out and so you don't need to run the pumps you can just 
you can just get the rafting for free. So that's a great example. And there's there's other examples of parks that simply use the tide to fill a basin, and then as the tide drains, they they um, they create whitewater there. And so um, for us, and then still other ones that are natural tidal lifts, we call them. And so there's a current there when the tide goes in or out, like Deception Pass in Washington State. Um, but there's um, the river flows one way for a while and the other way for a while. So so there's a lot of different ways to find that recreation. Um, what you really need to do is find the purpose. You know, is it disturbed and worth working on? Um, there's a great one in Scotland where they took an old lock and turned it into a whitewater park um, just because it was sitting there, basically sitting there empty. And so it gave them a way to, to create something that was that was an attraction from blight. Um, the Teesside's project purpose was economic development. So, um, so there's a lot of different things to do. We just need a purpose. Now, how about that? Do you, <clears throat> to kite off your point about economic development, um, can this be seen, can these changes to create recreational assets, can they be seen as economic development? Yes. Um, and, you know, what you're really doing is creating, these are, these are rare things, right? And so at the end of the day, what you're creating is something that's a unique attraction that, that draws people um, to it. And, and when those people come, we know that some proportion tend to stay overnight. and Most of them tend to um, stay for food and beverage and, and some percentage shop retail things, depending on what the attraction is. And so, um, so there's a real benefit for a town or, or city to have this going on in their central business district, right? It, it draws people there for the, um, for the recreation and they stay for the, for the evening. Um, and so when we look at that with whitewater parks, in some, you know, the economic attraction is, is modest. You know, Golden, Colorado uh, is not a big suburb to Denver, but, you know, their, their whitewater park was, was cheap to build. I think about a half a million to build. The economic impact is about $2.2 million per year in economic impact, probably larger at this point. The Reno Park, I mean, they, they didn't need money from the river previously, right? It's, the money in Reno came from gambling, but as gambling becomes more dispersed, um, people need a reason to go to Reno. And that's when they started to look at this um, whitewater park as a way to draw people in and, and, and you know, went from being a town that turned their back on the river to a town that embraced the river to draw, to draw tourism. And, you know, as an example of changing the business model, there's a church next to that whitewater park that you can get married in, you can get divorced in, and you can rent around. So, um, so we've changed the, the, the meter by a little bit in that town and those economic benefits can be significant. That's pretty cool. And, and I know, um, a lot of, I mean, to your point about, uh, changing uh, the dispersal of gaming and, you know, gaming is, is right now for many people on their, on their smartphones. Um, so in the last, uh, in the last 15, 20 years, we've had a lot of native American groups, um, that are often remotely located from other population centers, uh, build casinos and even destination resorts. Uh, but those casinos and destination resorts are, are essentially built on the, the gambling product that somebody's going to go for a weekend or a, a day or two and, uh, and enjoy some gambling and, and, and they need a, a resort in which to stay. Uh, as, as fewer people take the trip to go gambling at a, at a resort like that, um, I think uh, would find that particularly in the Northeast, a lot of uh, these casinos are located on or near rivers. And, um, and, and there may be a whole new uh, 
uh, if I get to say this, a whole new raft of things that they can learn to do um, <laughs> out on out on the water at one of these places as a recreational experience that adds a new reason to go to this place and keep the uh, the resort uh, business model humming. Um, is 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 there a is there anything that 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 uh, that you can think of as far? Well, actually, you started to mention the idea of sea kayaking, and and, and such. And I I think most people don't generally think of sea kayaking. They think of kayaking as kind of something that happens uh, primarily on a river. But it sounds like you grew up sort of sea kayaking off of Puget Sound. And uh, t- tell me what the sea kayaking experience is, and and how it's different or not than than river kayaking. Right. Well, uh, you know, the, the primary difference with sea kayaking, and, and it's a wonderful endeavor, by the way. So if you get a chance and you go to Seattle, this is the this is the thing to go do. Um, the, uh, you know, a, a typical trip can vary. But what's neat about the Seattle area is that you have these places you can go to, like LeConnor, that are that are ship channels. Um, but you can paddle, you know, down the ship channel to get a coffee, or you can paddle the other way down to Hope Island and explore the old fort that was that was active there from the mid 1800s till uh, World War II. Um, you can uh, you know uh, go to someplace unique like Port Townsend and uh, and explore that that little town, and at the same time you know uh, paddle to breakfast or paddle to lunch, um, and then paddle back to where your car is. And so it becomes these adventures that are fantastic. And as people get more and more involved in it and more organized, there's all these great activities like paddling out to Blake Island from Seattle and then camping on the island and looking at the city lights from your from your camp from your tent, literally, or going up to the San Juan Islands and hopping island to island and bed and breakfast to bed and breakfast, you know, over the course of three or four days. And so um, because that's such a protected space, um, there's it's not often that you get caught, for example, in a storm or in a dangerous situation that requires the skills that a whitewater endeavor would require in terms of learning to roll and rescue yourself and things like that. So um, so it's a great endeavor. It's very excessive to families and beginners. Um, and for a lot of people, that becomes their passion. You know, some people cycle, some people hike in, in where I come from, some people see kind of. Well, it, you know, when you, you know, as you, as you were describing, um, the, the many interesting places to go and move around, uh, in Puget Sound and and you know uh, the San Juan Islands and stuff, I was thinking of uh, you know uh, Corpus Christi Bay uh, down in Texas, uh, which has a barrier island on one side of it, and you know you could see kayaks out to Port Aransas uh, and back. You could uh, you could get around um, up and down well the whole you know Matagorda Bay and, uh, and Matagorda Island, and there are so many interesting places uh, along the Texas coast. Um, where you could where you could kayak, but go to the east coast and uh, and sea kayaking in um, in Chesapeake Bay or in uh, you know in, even in Boston Harbor with all of its islands. Charleston, you know, out to Fort Sumter, all kinds of wonderful ventures to get into. Yeah, I, you know, I hadn't really hadn't really uh, made the connection. I was thinking more or less when I hear the term sea kayak, and I've always sort of pictured people, you know, you know, going off into the surf and. You know, fighting it one way and cruising back in the other way, but uh, but but really, what we're talking about too is is bays, and what you can do with a kayak and what you can do with other watercraft. Um, uh, you know, in a bay. Uh, yes. And, and and actually, I wonder if there's some sort of new sort of floating device or something that could be fun to to even put in a bay so that you could slalom down a 
some sort of floating device. Um, and uh, uh, that would also be kind of like a floating art that you could, you could slalom down it and, and just, you know, crash into the bay or, or something like that. I know a lot of European cities now have uh, swimming pools and almost faux beaches um, in their harbors. Um, and, uh, and, and I bet you could do something like that together with a, uh, uh, with a kayak. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I, I think that's the neat thing about this sport is, you know, people talk about um, rides, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot with our whitewater facilities. You're not on a ride. You know, you show up for a ride, you you buckle up and you get in and, and something happens to you, you know. And when we build these whitewater facilities, what we're building is an adventure. And so you, you have to get out there and paddle your boat where it belongs and you have to navigate the rapids which is why there's a guide in the back to help you and um and we expect you to take part and if you're not taking part then you're then you're dead weight in that raft you know <laughs> and uh, when you start to talk about these other adventures it's the same way i mean yes you can go down to the docks in Bullsville, washington and rent a sea kayak and paddle around the marina and that's a fantastic adventure you'll see seals you'll see fish you'll see seagulls um but you can also create an adventure to run across and look at clear creek as it comes in you know you can you can paddle down to the Navy base and look at that in, in keyboard. And so so what we encourage people to do with these things is, yeah, dip your toes in the pool, see if you like it. But if you do, then pursue this as an adventure. And that's that's what you're talking about. Is how do you create that adventure where you live? Yeah, it, it really. And, and I, I imagine, you know, um, the perspective you get. Uh, when you're, um, boy, that sounds like a bad lyric to a song, you know, when I'm out on the sea alone, uh, when you're, when you're out on the water, uh, you know, looking back at the coast or looking back at all the people, you know, frolicking on the beach or whatever, um, it must be, uh, must be quite a different perspective and it must bring, you know, a feeling, um, of either restfulness or, or excitement, or I'm sure in some people anxiety, but, but it, it, uh, it, it really is a very different way to, to see the waterfronts of, 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 our, uh, of America, um, to, to look at it from the water side and to be as low as you are in a kayak yes. and to and get I'll that perspective. Great, I'll give you a great example. I, you know, I went to Rio. Um, we, we were involved in the, in the pre-planning for the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. And, and you go down there and you're in a city, right? And there's a lot going on in that city. And it's not, it's not the same thing that you're seeing when you um, – when you see the pictures from a helicopter, you know, Jesus up on the hill, you got to line yourself up in the right place to see that. And certainly my hotel wasn't tall enough to look at it. You know. And then when I was working, one of the guys on the project said, look, I'm I'm into outrigger canoeing. And so I'm going to go out at five in the morning and um, paddle among all the islands that are just offshore and the bluffs and then down Copacabana Beach and back. And so that'll be that'll be a two hour workout. Do you want to join me? Well, I've got jet lag. So, yes, I'll be ready in less than three minutes, you know. And uh, so I run down there and at dawn we paddle out and it's, it's big waves coming in, you know, things exploding on cliff walls everywhere. I think he was trying to sort of freak me out a little bit, but I loved it. And, uh, and then you get down to Copacabana beach and all of a sudden, you know, on my fifth trip to Rio de Janeiro, I'm looking up, I can see, um, you know, uh, Christ on the Hill. I could see the city with all these gumdrop, you know, granite mountains all around me. And it, it's a view you will never have, of Rio unless you do what we do. It was dead silent. The city hadn't woken up yet. Um, you know, it was safe <laughs> and, uh, and amazing. And so when you talk about the perspective, if you seek out adventure, you're also seeking out these unique places. And that was, 
that was the joy of that trip. Well, I, I, I imagine too, you find yourself, um, you know, going through, you know, certainly if you're early in the morning, uh, going through some early morning mist or seeing the mist rise off the water. I mean, and you know, the, I, I you know, when you're out in the water, the color of the water and the, and the complexion of it, you know, uh, I'm sure is a lot different than, than when you're looking at it from the beach. Um, you know, it's just, true. You, you know, it's almost like the water is, I don't know, is it, does it feel like the water is uh, alive or, or like a, a giant benevolent beast? Or, I mean, is there, is there a metaphor you can reach for? Because I'm sure it's different than what we imagine it to be when we're either on a cruise ship or when we're on a, uh, on a beach or even even at a high hotel balcony. Well, and I'll give you an example. I, I just I just paddled down the Grand Canyon. It was a two week trip, and uh, and I had been to the Grand Canyon before. And you you know you you look down from Bright Angel and it's pretty, you know, and and uh, and then you you look again at sunset and then you know the question is, did we stay till dawn or not? Because we've seen it, you know, um, and. Uh, at the end of the day, um, what I did was stay till dawn and I jogged down into that, into that canyon. And when you're outside looking in, the perspective is so much less all-encompassing than when you're inside looking out, when you're a part of it. And, and certainly when you're paddling in, I'm the same, the same token. And so um, it's the same with paddling. You know, It's one thing to be on a cruise ship and see water and to go down to the beach and put your ankles in it or something like that. But it's another on a rainy you know, Seattle morning in the fog to go out and paddle in that complete silence with your boat cutting the glass of the lake, you know, and the raindrops all around you, you know, and the mist hiding you from everybody in the world. And there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no way to, to feel that way without being there. And, you know, the, the peace you get with that as well as the, um, the inspiration is just, it's just wonderful. And so, yes, um, like I said, we, we encourage people and we try to build experiences where people are led to these these unique places well actually what what when you were describing that i was thinking of you know uh oh i don't know i was thinking of of monet or 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 an impressionist painting you know it's like being in the painting and 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 it being all around you um you know just just feeling yes exactly yeah it's just amazing the places that we that we end up or the you know, like the Grand Canyon, the violent places that you end up in that you're at peace in you know (laughs) with the big crashing waves and the white water and um and at the same time, sort of this, um, this, this is what you, what you train for, you know, and so the, the adventure of it. Well, I'm, I'm guessing too, you know, uh, for the Grand Canyon, I, I, I was there with my, my wife and kids last year. And uh, one of the, and you know, when you're at the, at the top, like, like you were describing, um, you know, everything, it looks like just this, this little thin line going across the bottom of the Canyon. And, uh, and it's, it's not even generally blue. I'm not really sure what color it is, but, but you can tell there's a change in color of whatever water there is down there. But when you're down there and amongst it, um, I'm sure, uh, I hadn't really thought about it, but, I, but I'm sure it's crashing around like you're describing, you know, there are, there are, there are stretches of passivity and stretch stretches of, uh, of physical violence that, you know, for the person there, you know, is sort of full sensory, full sensory integration. I mean, they are there. Um, yeah. Are, and that, that trip is very special. And, and, um, and I realize a little off topic for your, uh, for your interview today, but I will say we, we did this trip with Azra, which is a local outfitter. Um, it's two weeks. And for two weeks, we, we slept on a tarp. They have tents, but we didn't ever get in a tent. 
and we uh, we paddled six hours a day, um, and we did two hikes every day, two two big long hikes. It was the one of the most physically demanding things I've done in my life, and um, and at the end of the day, it it becomes a a lifestyle. I mean, you're in this river lifestyle when you're in there, and you're you're sort of uh, it's an all encompassing it's an all encompassing lifestyle. And you, know, you sleep under the stars. You, you paddle your brains out every day. You hike to these places you just can't imagine. And um, and so, um, for me, life changing. Having said that, I went as a former Olympic athlete in that sport, and uh, and I was worn out every night. There were eighty year olds on our trip that, that came on this trip, and so they uh, they literally had the whole gamut, and everybody had that adventure. Um, some more physical than others, but um, but what a wonderful thing that they that these outfitters create for people to try. Yeah, and I, and 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 if you don't mind my mention, I think your your son and your dad were on the trip too, which made which made for it to be a really special trip. So you actually got to see it through their eyes as well. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah. And, and and that whole idea of having that kind of a of an outfitter driven experience. Um, I could I could easily see that along the eastern shore of Maryland. I could see it on the main coast. I could you know see it in Florida even. Uh, Florida it seems very commercial, so I'm not sure. Maybe over uh, in some parts of Florida more than others. But that way of of seeing the water and seeing the environment um, through the eyes of somebody who's who's in a kayak and and so immersed in the experience um, is is a kind of experience I don't think that we. Uh, we either, you know, promote, sell, or offer as much as maybe we could. Right. And, you know, for me, it's what I seek out on each trip. And uh, and so, you know, when I'm in Florida, I, I, I brought a kayak and I went paddling in the swamp, right? <laughs> I saw alligators for the first time in, in their natural habitat, you know. When, I, when I'm in Maine, I'm, I'm paddling in, um, you know, Baxter State Park and running the Penobscot and running the Kennebec. Um, but I'm also, you know, seeking out those coastal experiences in Bar Harbor. Um, you mentioned Boston. You know, when I fly to Boston, and there's tons of great places to stay there, but I, I always stay at the airport hotel because I, I like riding a water taxi in the morning. <laughs> so that is fun. That is fun. You get, a, you get a cup of coffee and you get a free taxi ride in a in a boat, you know, on the way to work. And so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I I hear you. There's there's adventure where you seek it out. Yeah. Now, now, one of the things I wanted to talk about too, touch on also, was uh, was the uh, um, was was uh, were actually the whitewater parks, the artificial ones that you that you've created in locations, uh, because it's uh, something that I think is an opportunity for coastal resorts to develop a kind of a landside water park or water feature or <coughs> aquatic aquatic experience. Um, and and in, in 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 your case, I know that you were. Uh, a part of the design team or the design team for the National Whitewater Center near Charlotte, uh, and uh, and and you know I've been and I guess in Oklahoma City they have a whitewater course too that I've seen. Um, it, 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 you know that notion of doing an artificial whitewater course um, uh, strikes me as something you could do on the backside of some hotels in Myrtle Beach or the backside of uh, of of some locations along the Florida coast. Um, uh, I'd be careful where I'd put it, uh, but uh, uh, but what? Tell me, tell us a little bit about those artificial ones that you've built. Sure. Um, what's neat about them is is it, it it sort of brings the mountain to you, right? It brings the white water to places where there often isn't white water. Charlotte's a fairly flat 
banking city, right? And NASCAR city. Um, in, in other places we built them, like Oklahoma City, also very flat. And we're able to come in and build our own river and our own river system. Um, and so it works a lot like a fountain, um, but, but a fountain on steroids. You know, we fill a, a lake, we build a lake and fill the lake, and then we pump that water up and let it flow naturally down through these whitewater channels um, back to that lake. And in, when you talk about it, it sounds hokey, but the truth is we create this world-class whitewater to the point where um, we created the 2012 Olympic course that they held the Olympic Games on in, in London. Um, that whitewater um, is some of the most challenging whitewater in the world, but it's also accessible to to families to raft on and church groups to raft on. And, um, you know, people that want to learn to kayak can learn to kayak at this venue and then eventually paddle down that, that Olympic channel that people won gold medals in, you know. And so um, the facilities are huge attractions. People love to raft, you know. Um, it's a multi-million dollar industry in Colorado to go rafting on natural rivers that are frozen all winter long and that only really run in the spring and early summer. Um, we create something that, that runs every time you flick that switch um, and turn it on and we can put it in a warm environment. We can, we can provide year round training. Um, that park in Charlotte, you know, it has about a $50 million a year economic impact. It, it grosses about $22 million a year with a million plus people on site every year. Um, and so it's really become this, this very significant attraction. When you start to think about that extra million people, you know, in Charlotte, they're coming to have an adventure for the day. You put that next to a casino, they're coming to spend a weekend or a vacation at your casino. And the, the economic impact of that is very significant when you think about the other things that they'll stay and do over a long period of time. It's why it's why Vegas has so many fun things to do alongside that gambling, right? Is to create a vacation environment. And so um, so a lot of our current clients are looking at how do we get that economic impact. How do we draw the people in? Um, because we we think we think once they're here, they'll stay. Yeah, and and, and I think uh, I think you've told me too that you can you can change the character of of these as well. So you can make it you know the water rougher. You can make uh, the water come uh, into the channel from different ways and different directions and things like that, so that you can you know literally make the experience a little different. Um, uh, should you want to, although most people I'm sure just get to do it on their one visit, but if they were to come back, it, it, it could also, um, could also be different. Um, the, the, the other thing about it too, is, is you, you made a jump there that was kind of, kind of critical. And that is you went from kayaks into rafts and, uh, all the times that I've been to the one in Charlotte, um, I have seen kayakers, uh, uh, rolling around. But I and they also have zip lines and other uh, activities that you can engage in uh, ropes courses on the on the premises. Uh, but I it seems as if most of the water experiences are being had on rafts. Um, that you know people, it's almost like a team building exercise, I suppose, uh, where uh, where where businesses will will have their uh, office event uh, there and uh, and. Uh, and just 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 the thought of some of the guys who manage my credit cards uh, in, in Charlotte going down a course like that just just does my heart good. Uh, but uh, uh, but there are, you know, there 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 are lots of other. There's a variety of different aquatic experiences you can have. Um, it, it feels it. I, I agree with you. It feels a little. Well, maybe you weren't saying this, but it feels a little artificial in a way. But but the fact that you can deliver the thrills and the excitement. Um, uh, like that um, is, is, is so remarkable. 
um, and that you can, and, you know, unlike the analogy you were drawing in Colorado where, you know, there were great rivers to raft on, but they're frozen through the winter, you can do it all year round. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, you can book a vacation whenever you want to, to go try, a, try out the one in Charlotte, um, or the one in Oklahoma city for that matter. Um, is it, what is the next step forward? Is there some next step forward in those kinds of aquatic parks? I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, putting them where they might have the highest economic impact, uh, is one thing. Um, you know, would they make sense in a place like a Myrtle Beach or a place that is already on the water? Yes. And I, and I think the next step forward is is understanding, and this is what we've learned with the parks we've built, is understanding that they're no longer just whitewater parks. They're adventure parks. They're outdoor adventure parks. And also understanding that outdoor adventure parks cater not just to tourists, but to quality of life where you live. People who are adventurous will live near the park, they'll, they'll buy property near the park, they'll, uh, they'll come, you know, three, four, five times a week, they'll have business meetings, which we see at these parks that we've built, because this is their, this is their clubhouse that they live and play and work at. Um, and so understanding how, how that whitewater park has evolved into something that has 30 or 40 different activities, and I'm not exaggerating that, from trail running to mountain biking to climbing, um, to over water climbing and zip lines, um, you know, kids camps, um, kids summer camps, you know, throughout the summer, um, as well as swift water rescue training and, and first responder training. It, it starts to play a role in your community that's much more than that one vacation a year or going gambling in Reno and staying an extra day because you, your kids are having so much fun on the water um, to something that becomes a part of your your community. And, uh, and not only provides for tourists, but also is the place that, that you can walk your dog or go for a jog or, um, you know, in Charlotte once a week, um, about, about three to 500 people come down and do yoga in the woods together. Um, and so, um, so understanding how this thing is evolved, and I think this is next steps into an adventure park. And in my mind, I have this sort of Disney, you know, um, uh, you think about the magic mountain, I have this sort of vision of a magic mountain style. And, and of course, not, not so magic as the magic mountain, but this, this mountainscape that you can bring into your community that provides for all kinds of adventures, not just, um, not just the whitewater, but things, things that uh, kind of go beyond the pale um, in terms of, Hey, let's get the family out there and have a real adventure in addition to, an activity, um, and uh, and how do we do that all day long? Um, and, and how do we build that in your community? So yeah, there is a next level that we want to go to. Yeah, and and I I can actually you know uh, see right now, for example, we've built uh, uh, whole residential communities around golf courses, um, and uh, you know I have a good friend uh, who lives that in Seattle. Uh, uh, grew up in St. Louis. Uh, uh, I knew him when he was in Chicago. Um, and he moved out to, uh, he moved out to Seattle so we could go see kayaking during the day and, and, or, and then go, you know, uh, ski in the next day or something like that. You know, just the outdoor activity, uh, uh, offerings that, uh, that are in Seattle or at least in, in around Puget Sound are just so tremendous. Um, so you can have a lifestyle choice, um, not just in terms of vacations, but even in terms of, uh, there is a housing subdivision. Uh, quite a large one around the facility in Charlotte, 
And um, I, I've never seen a survey, but I'm going to guess that a, uh, there's a significant number of people who live in that uh, subdivision uh, simply because it's proximate to the asset and they can go and, and play. And what you're also talking about, too, is a sort of a supercharged golf course. Uh, there was a golf course project that I worked on recently in uh, in New York where uh, uh, it was actually on Long Island Sound, and so they already had a marina. Well, by the by the time we were through, we had indoor and outdoor recreation. We had, you know, different kinds of adventure pools and things like that on the premises, uh, restaurants and such. And the whole reason was we were trying to get to the point where this package was so was so magnetic that it drew whole households as opposed to somebody who just liked one thing, like one individual in the household going and playing golf on a Saturday afternoon was replaced with everybody in the household going out and doing things on a Saturday afternoon and then having dinner there and then going home. And and your description of, of, of Charlotte fits perfectly with that, where Charlotte, you know, has evolved to, into into a point where it's not just one or two or three or four activities. It's it's a couple of dozen activities. It you know it, it becomes it becomes a part of your life to live there as well as to visit there. Yeah, and to, and I totally agree. And to put some numbers to that, um, in Charlotte when it first opened, one out of ten people who showed up um, got wet or did an activity. One out of ten people, and so most people were coming to watch, and that was surprising to me because if there's a river, I'm showing up to do something. And it's just first rule of my life, right? And. Uh, <clears throat> What we found is that it's a lot like bobsledding, right? I mean, we're all going to go watch bobsledding in Lake Placid, but but at the end of the day, I didn't show up in a speed suit with a sled, right? They're, they're not going to let me on there. And uh, and it's the same with this whitewater thing. We really had to, on one hand, um, create an attraction that was accessible to everybody, which we did. Everybody who shows up at Charlotte can go rafting and uh, you know put a life jacket and a helmet and do a trip talk and then go down with your guide. They can all get wet, but... The other thing we had to realize is that some proportion don't even want to get wet. They're not swimmers. Um, they're not excited about water sports, but they still want to come for an adventure. And so that's where these other 29 to, to 35 activities come into play where, okay, but I, I think you might like climbing or you might like to go on this trail hike to, to overlook the Catawba River or, um, or we have a bluegrass concert for you tonight or a festival um, that you can take part in or mountain biking or what have you. And what we found, given that, is that now um, one out of four people gets wet. So we've, we've increased that number just through letting people understand that this activity is for them and changing that marketing from being Olympic-based to being community-based. But the other thing we've done is created enough activities that, roughly speaking, um, three out of four people, enough activities are, are catered to that three out of four people on site do an active activity. Um, and the other ones are there for food and beverage or concerts. Well, and, and I mean, that's actually that's actually something we've known for a long time where uh, currently about 17 percent of the people in America um, go swimming at least once a year. Well, 21 percent of the people in America go to the beach uh, every year. So what why? Why is there a delta there? Why is there a difference? And yes. the reason is so many people just go to the beach and hang out at the beach um, and uh, uh, or don't swim every time. Uh, so probably the percentage of people that are on a beach but not in the water is 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 at least a one to one, maybe a two to one ratio, where where the two is people that never get in the water. So uh, to to your to your example in in Charlotte, but the more ways that people can get into the water, 
Um, and, and that extends too to a project or two of yours that I'm familiar with where um, where not only when you pulled out a low head dam did you you know talk about creating a, a slalom or some sort of a course for going down in a kayak, but also diverting some of that flow into what amounts to a flow through playground uh, for for little kids or kids of all ages. Um, even to the point where, where kids in the flow of a river could, you know, build their own dams and such. Uh, and, uh, you know, out of, out of pebbles and rocks and, you know, small things that were natural objects that were in the water. So it's, it, you know, the kinds of activities you can get into when you get wet um, uh, is, is, is way more than just uh, swimming in a, in a lap pool. There's so much to it, it. It's absolutely true. And um, and the thing we've learned the more we do this is the the more of those adventures you take, the more people you include. And uh, and on top of that, um, the healthier those lifestyles are. You, you'll get people, you know, in Charlotte, we've created a culture of this. And um, and that culture is a healthy, active outdoor lifestyle. And it's 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 not just a, um, an something that they do once a year. It's something that they pursue as a lifestyle. For me, that's, that's what we're seeking out. And, and to be honest, we, we built it in our backyard. I have a whitewater park in my backyard. So I'm, I'm like a fireman. I'm from three minutes from when I get the alarm, I'm on the water paddling. Right. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we have about 40 kids in a town of 2000 that make this an everyday thing to go out on this park. And because of the pandemic, we don't really have any competition, right? They're, they're home and there's no summer camps this summer. And so the river became the destination of choice. And it's, it's something that's now become a part of their, their lifestyles, even as we go back into school. Well, I just, I just wrote an, an article last week about how the pandemic has, uh, has really been a boost for so many things uh, that are outdoor activities. Um, and I'd interviewed a bunch of people who uh, run park systems around the country, and, and their, their trails are thronged. Even golf has had a comeback uh, because it's so COVID-friendly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the whitewater sports, uh, getting in the water, uh, on a, on a, a paddle, a board, a boat or whatever, uh, is, is so much bigger this year than it has been, uh, in, in years past because, uh, because we can do it and, uh, we should do it. And so I think we have a kind of a moment here where, I mean, even camping gear is, is flying off the shelves, um, or has flown off the shelves. I don't think there's anything left at the end of the summer here. So I think, uh, I, I think we're an interesting place where so many people have, have sampled, um, outdoor recreation that starting next year, I think we're going to see uh, all of our facilities a little more crowded, which is not a bad thing, uh, because it, because it gives us the justification to build more. I, I agree. And I hope it's true. I hope that these people that we're capturing right now continue to, to be passionate, passionate about the outdoors, you know, um, I think that also speaks to stewardship and environmentalism. Um, and so, um, so I hope that this is kind of leading to a movement. Um, but I will say that in the business, when we all locked down, you know, I had reached out to some business leaders that make paddles, that make boats, and, and it was Armageddon. Um, and then as things started to slowly move again, what they found is exactly what you're saying. They couldn't stock enough. They couldn't manufacture enough paddles to, to meet the new market. They couldn't manufacture the boats to meet the new market. You know, it's just a tremendous amount of demand because people aren't traveling to Europe this year. You know, they, they aren't going down to a concert or something with a big gathering. They're, they're looking for things to do out where it's safe. 
Yeah, I, I'll have to send you that piece on uh, on outdoor recreation. What a what a boon because I know you've seen it all around you, but this puts it all together in one piece. Um, any anything that I've missed that that you that you that you have to say about you know being on the water or the feeling of that or uh, you know why people should do this why you why you would proselytize the idea of uh, the kayak gospel uh, or the out on the water gospel? Well, I I I I'd like to talk a little bit about the communities that host these and when we when we go in and talk to these city councils or or county boards depending on where we're brought into um, you know somebody's passionate about it and somebody's brought us home to that meeting, but the people in the meeting are generally saying, Hey, um, why are you here? And tell us about you. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things we really talk a lot about is brand. You know, if you want to develop tourism, you have to develop a brand as a destination. You have to develop a brand as for us, a river town or a coastal town that people want to come see. And you, you also need to develop not only the attraction, which is where we can help, but, but a way to capture that economic benefit that you create. And so some places that we go into are saying, um, okay, let's do a study. Let's do an economic impact study as part of this design process. Um, what is the benefit of your future traction going to be? And in some cases it's great. In other places it's low. And then they say, well, why is it low? Because there's so much, you know, there's $50 million in economic activity around Charlotte. Why aren't we getting that? And it's because you have to way to capture that with the hotels and the bed and breakfasts and the, the restaurants and things like that. And so, um, so one of the things that we talk about with, with these communities that host these attractions is yes, by all means, create that adventure and we can help you with that. Define what's feasible and, and, and create something that's a lifestyle thing, not just a ride so that people come again and again. Um, and you get this, 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 uh, word of mouth that goes around it and then build a brand around it, build a brand as a river town as a destination river town where it's fun to be a part of festivals, where it's fun to pursue recreation, where it's fun to vacation and there's great restaurants and there's great hotels. And so for us, it starts with building that core attraction, but it, it, it spreads out to becoming this thing that you say you are, which is, which is a river town or a destination town. Um, so, so I think that's an important part of this recipe is understanding the rural community plays in it. Yeah, I, I, I'm starting a mountain biking project out in a community in East Tennessee that's uh, off the interstate, and uh, it's on a river too. And it's had some, um, had had some, uh, you know, kayaking and rafting business. Um, but but I'm I'm thinking that once we bring in the uh, uh, the the mountain biking and the and the kayaking, uh, or the kayaking and the and the rafting will actually get bigger. And that we can begin to to add it in different levels because you know when you're skiing, as you know, there's the black diamond all the way down to the bunny slope, and uh, uh, and, and if you, you can offer activities like that, um, you know whether it's uh, whether it's kayaking or, or tubing or whatever, at many different levels, so that there's a level of engagement um, that's comfortable for everyone to give it a shot, um, and, uh, and and there's also like a family level as well. Yeah, and uh, so I, I think I think that notion of a destination community, an outdoor destination. I mean, we see it out. I mean, you know, west of you in Moab, that area has gotten pretty popular for uh, for an array of things you can do there. Um, and uh, and there are other sort of outdoor recreation destinations, but but so many communities in America, you know, actually already have the rivers. They already have 
you know, the hillsides and things like that, that they could begin to do some of these things themselves. And, and, and yes, there should be and could be and will be more destination communities. But it seems as well that there are more situations where uh, just ordinary suburban communities and metro areas, um, you know, might be able to offer some of these experiences too. So that you don't, so that you don't only get to kayak five times a year, but uh, like somebody, you know, who lives next door to you, they can kayak any day of the year. You know, they can, uh, well, any day that the river isn't frozen, if you're water. Right, yeah. There's, there's a limitation. I mean, okay, some of them, some of these days you might be ice skating. Uh, but, uh, but the, but just the, 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 the notion that, that, that there's no reason why in a lot of communities, kayaking has to be something special. There's no reason why. And, and, you know, your, your images that you described of Rio really got me in terms of, wow, I, if I lived in Rio, I, I would love to be the one who goes out all the time and does that. Um, you know, just, just, a just, a just, a just, a you know, the imagery of it was just so powerful. Um, so, uh, so uh, any 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 other thoughts? Uh, we're, we're heading toward a wrap up here, and, and one thing I do want to to have you give us, uh, uh, Scott, is and I should have asked you at the top of the program too. Can you give us your contact information? So if somebody hears this and they say, "Geez, I got to talk to this guy," um, uh, uh, what what are some parting thoughts and uh, and and what how do people reach you? Yes. So the best way to get in touch with us is through S2O Design and Engineering, which is our, sorry, through our website, which is s2odesign.com. And um, if you're human, and I wish I'd thought of this before I named the company, you're going to type s20design.com. And it's not that. It's the letter S, the number two, and then the letter O is in oscardesign.com. If you Google S2O Whitewater Parks, you'll come to us and, and um, you know, the thing I tell everybody is this is possible in a lot of different ways in a lot of different scenarios. And, um, and so what we really encourage people to do is go to the website, educate yourself a little bit, but also reach out and just have a conversation with us because we're always happy to talk whitewater. And a lot of times what we're, what we're doing, and Dan, you and I do this a lot, what we're doing is, is having a, a conversation that leads to the better and better ideas as we get, as we get through that conversation. And so... Um, so reach out, give us a holler, and uh, we'd love to talk white water. Sounds great. Well, I've been talking to uh, Scott Shipley from S2O Design, um, and uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, thank you, Scott, and uh, uh, look forward to seeing talking to you sometime soon. But, uh, but uh, any one of you can reach out to Scott and uh, check out his website and, uh, and see if you can get one of these uh, whitewater parks uh, in, in your harbor, in your bay. In your uh, on your river or, or, or someplace where uh, where you can have a lot of fun out on the water and, and, and see the world from a new perspective. Um, so that's it for today. Thank you again, Scott. Um, take care. Thank you, Dan. <laughs>